Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. All right, well, to help us to talk about what can keep that fight song playing during this basketball season, we have the guy who runs the show up in Winston-Salem. I'm talking about Wake Forest head basketball coach Steve Forbes joining the Wesson Walker Show and the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Coach, how's it going for you? Well, it's going good now that I'm talking to you guys. And, I, you know, you guys fired me up with that song. I just kind of go, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I don't know the word, either, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I know, Coach, um, but you're not going to get as much flack as I do because I'm an alum. And so, you know, it, it does reflect uh-huh. bad on me that I don't know the words. Well, that's just the job. Hey, you don't need to know the words, man. You just need to win games. That's about it. And I think everybody will be okay with you not knowing the words to the fight song. All right. Well, yeah, it's all about winning. And uh, when, I was, when I was at A&M, we used to have to saw the horns off after every – game and i always thought it was really strange that the fight song was about texas i mean it's the most strange i mean the whole fight song is about beating texas we don't play texas every game right i mean last time i checked yeah man coach no doubt so when you look at this wake forest basketball team and where we sit today fourth place in the conference talk about uh your expectations preseason with this squad and where you feel like they sit uh today as we talk to you well i had high expectations for this team coming into the into the season because I, you know, I was in practice every day and I knew what kind of players that we had. Obviously, you know, we went through some transition early with some injuries. We, you know, Marsh got a concussion, didn't play in Charleston. F didn't get, didn't get eligible until Rutgers and, you know, Damari kind of came in here late too. So, you know, have, but I knew if we had the entire team, we'd have a chance to, to be really good. Um, you know, we're in fourth place. We've lost a couple road games where we had the lead that, you know, you like to get those back, but that's part of it. You just keep moving. And we got a lot of uh, important games ahead of us. And I think the most important thing to do is just worry about the next game in front of you and not try to look too far down the road. Yeah, Coach, you guys are 13-0 and at home, 2-6 and on the road. What's been the biggest difference you feel like when you guys leave out of the Joel and go on the road as to why getting wins has been a tough task? I don't think, I mean, I think it's pretty much all over the country. There's very few teams that have winning records on the road. I've had them in the past, but they're hard to do. I, I think that it's not so much leaving the Joel. It's just how you finish the game. And, and we have had a couple leads, you know, 10-point leads in the second half, probably on the road at Pitt, on the road at NC State, and just had some things happen to us that you can't do to win, to win games on the road. You can't give up offensive rebounds can't give up transition baskets and most importantly you can't foul and i think we're giving up 25 free throws on the road and 13 at home and that's a big difference and so um you know we did a good job with that um at georgia tech about a week and a half ago one there at duke um we got in foul trouble you know we Efton was in foul trouble the whole night andrew was in foul trouble you take those guys off the court it's uh it makes it tougher. We didn't shoot it great, but we had a chance. We were right there at the end, and we found a way. But we got to stay out of foul trouble, you know, to win on the road. Well, and Coach, not to continue to talk about road woes, but you're right. It's not just Wake Forest or specifically no. teams in the ACC. It is all over the country. We just went over the stat after North Carolina lost. The top 10 teams against unranked opponents are like 500. I, I know it's always been hard to win on the road in college basketball. It seems harder now 
How much has that changed because of the transfer portal, just the era we're in right now? Yeah. Like, why does it seem harder to you that all of college basketball as a whole is suffering to win on the road? Well, you know, I, I think that, number one, you, you probably are a, a bit right, you know, as far as the transfer portal give us, the transfer portal take us away a little bit. Maybe you don't have, you know, you're not as veteran as you have been as a team. Maybe you have older guys, but they haven't played in those environments together. Like, for instance, my team. I mean, you know, Hunter didn't play a lot at Gonzaga. You know, Efton didn't play a lot at Gonzaga, you know, this is, you know, Boopy didn't play at all last year. And so this is kind of their first go around of being in those really tough environments. There's just a certain way you got to play to win them. And you got to be mentally tough and physically tough. And, you know, one, and I was watching Beheim talk about it on the network one night. Somebody, oh, Virginia Tech was up 10 at Miami and then two bad possessions. And it, it it's a six point game. And then it's, then they win. You just can't have back to back bad possessions and we did it at Duke under, with the under eight timeout John Koshire called timeout we're down three right there and then we come out we turn it over twice and then we foul two points we give up a basket two points it's now seven you know it's just there's a small small margin in those things and you got to be on the right side of it by playing the right way and you know I do think there's more of a home court advantage in basketball than there is in football and um, it just I think it's proven out and so it it's just it's I don't, know, I don't think it's anything new, mm-hmm. but it might be a little bit more because of the portal. Wake Forest basketball coach Steve Forbes joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You talk about hitting the portal uh, portal yourself. Steve, I, I need to know. Like, I know you can't be giving away all your secrets, but I'm asking just for a taste, just a little info on how you go to the transfer portal and find yeah. guards that contend for ACC Player of the Year every year. Like, you mentioned yourself, Salas wasn't even playing all that much. Now here he yeah. is in Player of the Year contention. When you hit the portal, what are you looking for specifically in players? Wow. I mean, I like guys that can score. And, you know, like I say that, you're probably laughing at me because Alonda scored four points, maybe six, and, and I think that's what Hunter averaged. But the one thing that we have access to is a lot of film. Because of technology with synergy, and I can watch everything that any kid's ever done all over the world playing. And so, I, you know, I think we do a good job of finding guys that, you know, we could see a little more in them than what they have seen in themselves or maybe where they were at. Sometimes as coaches, we're all guilty of painting, putting guys in boxes, right? And then it's hard to get out of that box. And so you got to kind of see outside the box they were put in in their situation. And you look at their athleticism and their skill. In their uh, in their ability to shoot the basketball, and I I just I knew Hunter's background from Omaha because I'm from Iowa, um, and you don't unbecome a McDonald's All American, okay? You just don't. You're really good if you're a McDonald's All American. And I just knew he had it in his tank, and you just have to get it out of him. And you know, and you get a feel for him when you meet him face to face, who's real and who's not. And I just felt like he was, and so you know, I don't know. It's Gotta be a little lucky too. Let's be honest. I mean, and also I think we also know we have a pretty good idea how to recruit to, the, to our style of play. And I just feel like we've done a good job of plugging guys into the way we like to play. Hey, coach, talking about Salas in that tank, he leads the uh, the conference in minutes played per game. He's also third in scoring. Did you envision that type of role for him with a guy basically doesn't come off the court once you get him out there in that starting lineup? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you that I expected him to do that, but I've had that question for three years now with Alondis, Ty, and him. 
I don't put those kind of pressures on those kids when they come here. Now, do I think they're going to play well? Do I think they're going to average double figures? Yes, I do. And for two reasons. Number one, we're going to play them the minutes. One of the things about recruiting transfers, you can't lie to them. If you, if you paint a picture to them that you're going to play this and these are the minutes, this, then you have to do it or it won't work. And, or you can't play them out of position. You can't tell them you're going to play them at a certain position. You play them somewhere else. And I think, the other, you know, we've been true to our word. Um, you know, did I think he'd average 18? No. I thought he'd average double figures, whatever that number was. I don't know. But, uh, you know, the past has said that if you come here and you have the ball in your hands and you have high usage rate, then you're going to score that because those guys before him have proven that. And so, Coach, too, and when you're looking at this game, and I remember when you guys uh, had a loss not too long ago and you talked about how guys were playing uh, selfishly and not uh, playing within the offense, and you guys are 13th in the conference in assists per game. For this basketball team, is it as simple as them just coming out and sharing the basketball and playing enough defense and you guys feel like you have a shot uh, in any game that you play in? Yeah, I think it's an important number to look at. I don't think it's the number the only number. I mean, we we have one of the top 20 most efficient offenses in the country, and we lead the league, or we're second in the league at least in scoring. Um, but I do think sometimes the drive is not for you, and that's something I've stressed with this group uh, over the last couple of weeks, is to, to drive, kick, swing, playoff two. Now, sometimes the drive is for you, and you got to drive in there at school. But when you're drawing two or three defenders in there, it's time to kick it and move it. And we got talented guys that could put the ball on the floor, and you have to be able to score at the rim. Against Duke, you know, we got to the rim. I mean, we were 10 for 13 in the second half at the rim, 16 for 24 for the game. We didn't make threes. You know, so it wasn't that. We did, we, we've shared it. We didn't make them. And so it's just one of those things. There's a fine line. It's a good question. Um, I, I think it's important. I don't think it's the end of the world. Depending, I think a lot of it is dependent on how we're guarded by the other team, by how many assists you're going to get or not get. Steve, Steve Forbes joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Coach, there's a lot going on in how conferences and teams are perceived based on yeah. net ranking, the ACC's yeah. reputation. It's not great right now based on the lack of love that they're getting. Why do you think – like is? Not that there's a legitimate reason for it, but why is it that the ACC isn't getting enough respect compared to other conferences, and how do we fix that? Well, I think the first thing you do is you go out and win, and you block out that noise as a, as a coach now, okay? I'm talking about it for me personally or my team. I, I, don't, I think that's more of a, a fan thing. I think the most damaging thing about the narrative is when you have people on a committee making decisions that maybe don't know much about basketball, then at the end of the day, they listen to something that one of these guys says. Now, that's to me, is a scary deal. I think what has happened is I don't think the league has changed at all. I think it's just how we're viewed. And, for instance, when the RPI was in play, the last four years of the RPI, you know, we had 20 – we had something like uh, – I don't remember. Oh, we had 31 bids in the last four years of the RPI. And we had 59 wins, 67 winning percentage, far and away more than anybody in college basketball. Okay? Big 12 had 27. Big 10 had 25. Remember that number. Now we go to the net. Now we're down to 24 bids. Four years later, 31. You know, we had all these bids. Now we're down to 24. Big 12 about the same, but the Big 10's up to 36. But they're last in winning percentage in the tournament. We're still number one. To me, it's just the lens that you look at the metric. 
I think the metric is flawed. I don't, I'm not. I think it's terrible. Um, it's not a good metric, but it's one we have to live with. And I think they just. I think when you create a narrative, all you do is look at numbers, and you don't watch basketball. I mean, there's no way possible these guys who have these narratives to watch possibly every game in every league to know whose league is better. So I think if you want to be, if you want to predict, you know, those kind of things and have a narrative, then you're just going to do metrics and say that and understand you don't really know anything about basketball. And that's my opinion. Well, and, and Coach, it looks like, okay, so there's been this big discussion about a conference like the Big 12 where, okay, yeah. it fel- feels like they gamed the system. What they do they is did. they schedule the cupcake non-conference slate. They don't lose. They get a bunch of teams in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times they'll get bounced early, whereas an ACC yep. conference, they'll get to the tournament. And then it's not a cupcake non-conference. And then you see two teams like Duke, North Carolina, get to the Final Four. You know, you have right. so much more success. How do you try to balance that? As you're looking to schedule, well, okay, we want to get there, but also I want to be ready once we get there. Well, that's the inconsistency of the message. And it's a great example. The years that at, what we were 13-7 and seven two years ago and 10-1 and one in non-league and didn't get in. And what I was told at the spring meetings, by somebody who represents the NCAA, well, we didn't have a tough enough amount of power schedule. Okay. But we went 10-1. and one. All right, we beat, LA, we beat Northwestern, beat Oregon State, whatever. Now, two years later, I watch the Big 12 cook the numbers. They don't beat any. There's a couple teams that do, but everybody else just blows teams out quad four, and that's, that's the problem with the metric. It's not the score. It's not the margin. It's the efficiency. If you blow a team out and blow, get your efficiencies up so high, your net's not going to come down. And what has happened in the Big 12 is everybody has a high net at the end of non-conference, and they start playing each other. They're not going to move a whole lot. And so I think it comes down to the message, and that's the inconsistency of the committee because each year they look at something different. Well, it was their non-conference. Well, it was their league. Well, it was their quad ones. Well, it was their combination of ones and twos. Well, he had a quad four lock. I mean, it's just all over the map, and that's the problem. And so what you do, in my opinion, is you just play. You know, you can't. You can't worry, oh, this is a quad one game, it's important. No, they're all important. Every damn one of them are important. And so that's how you got to attack it and just win and hope that it takes care of itself. Coach, last thing I got for you, you know, a lot has been talked about as far as the transfers you brought into Wake Forest thus far and the impacts that they have. And did your previous stops uh, at the schools that you coached at beforehand, we, we see coaches all over college sports now leaving head coaching positions and going to be coordinators or assistant coaches because of yeah. the, the current climate of the game. So did your previous stops kind of prepare you for this and how you're able to thrive uh, in this type of era of college sports with NIL and Portal and all that stuff? I, mean, I would imagine so. I mean, I, it'd be hard to say that, you know, I coached junior college for 11 years, so I had roster turnover every year, so I, that was something that wasn't foreign to me. But you got to remember, too, now, you know, I went and coached in Tennessee for all those years. But we probably had one or two, tra- not very many transfers, not uh, one, maybe two JUCO players, mostly all high school players. Back to junior college for a couple of years. I went to Wichita where we kind of had a mix. And then when I went to East Tennessee State, it was before the one-time transfer rule. I was redshirting people. I was bringing, you know, two or couple transfers in a year and setting them out, uh, which I really liked because you can't play 13 guys anyway. You can't keep them all half. And so setting guys out and redshirting them were really good. But then the one, then right when I got to Wake, soon after the one-time transfer came in, it's either you adapt or you get run over. And so it's like I can understand guys that are my age or a little bit older 
that have decided that they don't want to do this anymore. I get it. But if you don't change, then you're going to not make it. And so we've been able to adapt. And it's hard at Wake Forest. You know this. This is a very high academic institution. So there's a lot of guys in the portal we just can't recruit because of the academic situation. here. So it makes it kind of even doubly harder because we have to be able to get them in school. They have to be able to get enough credits, and they have to want to go to school, go to class, and do their work. And we don't have online. We don't do that. And so, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not as easy as you think it is. But when you find the right people and they come here and they embrace it, they do really well. All right, Coach, final thing. I consider you a pretty smooth guy. You can take that however you want. That's how I feel about you. And because of that, I would like to get some Valentine's Day advice from you. Like we had our we had our playlist day yesterday. We also got some advice from listeners. We we got some great tips, but I feel like you would be a great guy to ask this for. So like whether it's a your favorite love song, whether it's candy, a nice treat, what kind of advice do you have for us people on Valentine's Day and what to do? I am the absolute worst person to ask. I hate to tell you this. Like, for years, and my wife, it kind of became a joke. She got used to it. I would forget it was Valentine's Day. I'd be in the office, and I'd pull out a piece of my stationery, right? Say, Tennessee, Wake Forest, Wichita State. And I'd write her, you know, some bunny loves you, or, hey, happy Valentine's Day on my stationery, and take it home to her. Okay? <laughs> that, I would recommend that. If okay. I you. Um so I just God, it's so hard in the middle of the season, man. It's just I'm a, I'm I'm just terrible. I, I would say like last night, I, you know, I got her card, some candy, and some roses. That was good. But if full disclosure is, I had to ask my son to go get them. Oh no! All right, okay. yeah. Don't she won't listen today? I hope not, so she won't <laughs> hear that. But um, guys, you know, I'm the guy that took my wife on her honeymoon to a job interview for a graduate assistant job that I didn't get. Okay. So in Omaha, Nebraska. So my point is, I don't think I'm probably the right guy for you on this. And I apologize. Uh, so, so no, it's okay. We learned a lot. We learned not to write a love note on a stationary and not to bring your significant other to a job interview. You don't get <laughs> that's good advice. Well, and not, I'll take not, that for the rest not, of my life. Not on a honeymoon. Okay. Okay. Like when you say Omaha and she probably thinks you said Oahu. No, I said Omaha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nebraska, of, babe. Nebraska. In the middle of America. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, she, God bless her soul. She's put up with a lot from me and to be married for 35 years is a testament to her strength because I'm being being married to me is not a lot of fun. I can't imagine. And I, you know, I'm not looking to mirrors. I, I mean, I overachieved recruiting her. That's, I should have told you I was going to get pretty good players. That's just recruiting. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate the time. That was Wake Forest head basketball coach Steve Forbes on the Body Works Plus. Yes, hotline telling you how to recruit uh, the significant other in your life on top of other great nuggets that he gave us. And you can follow him on X at Forbes Wake Hoops. Coach, we wish you the best, especially me, and we'll see you down the hmm. road. I appreciate you guys having me. Hopefully, after listening to this, my wife won't put me in the portal. We won't tell her. We won't tell her. No doubt, Coach. We'll see you, man. All right.